this time to chapter 47, which, if you're wondering, is a much more positive passage in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47, page 1289, if you're using a pew Bible, we're going to read the first 12 verses. This comes in a different part of Ezekiel where he's given, the prophet is given visions of hope, visions of, uh, for an exiled people now, a people yanked from their land, their homes, their property, their wealth, their language, everything, to a foreign place. And is life over? Well, here are visions to show how God indeed still blesses. So this is an odd passage as you first read it, but it has a wonderful gospel message for us. Ezekiel 47, the man, this man is a, a tour guide, if you will, showing him the city and the temple in a restored kind of way. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. The temple faced east. The water was coming from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cupids, and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand, and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross, because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down to, into the Arabah where it enters the sea, that is, the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from in Gedi to in Galim. Galim. There will be places for spreading nets, the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of every kind will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Thus far, reading from God's holy word, and may he bless that holy word to us. Probably it's 
what most needs to be seen here is a context, first of all, that the kingdom of God has entered a dark valley of a shadow of death. This is not flourishing times. If you go back to Ezekiel's days where a people have been cast into exile, the northern uh, kingdom suffering this exile under the Assyrians and the like, this is... This is a, a message that ought to greatly humble all of us as we see what sin deserves. And we saw something of that this morning. And it's precisely to people who are suffering under such a valley of shadow of death who need a word of hope. All of us in our gloomy times, especially when we're estranged from God, we're walking contrary to his way and will. We're not trusting him. We're doubting him. And our life doesn't seem to be in his, under his favorable providence. It seems like perhaps maybe we're under a fatherly discipline. There too, with the psalmist, we cry out to God. And we're looking for help. And that's what this vision shows us, how this water, this, which becomes a river from the sanctuary of God, penetrates and gives life to dead places. And we live in a world in which there's many dead places. We see it everywhere. There's dead marriages, dead relationships, dead-end jobs. There's deadly habits, deadly addictions and behaviors. We have desires of death. People finally can't cope with life and desire only death and act on that, sadly. Sometimes there's even dead churches or dead ministries and self-professed Christians who live dead sort of lives. The Lord Jesus even had to write to the church, one of the churches in Revelation, saying you're at the crossroads of life and death. Your, your flame is so a flicker, it's about to go out. And yet there's hope. Hope comes to dead places as long as God is willing to act and be busy to save. That's why we worship and come before the Lord, not because we don't need help, but because we do not. Once upon a time in my youth, or when I was in the army and bullets were flying, then I called upon the Lord, glad I did that, done with that now. No! Always need to call upon the Lord. Good times and bad times. And indifferent seems like, well, whatever. We need to call upon Him at all times. Lest our hearts become dead places. We need hope. And indeed, Ezekiel 47 gives us hope. And shows us how hope comes to dead places in, in three ways. We, we see it in these rising waters, this odd thing. Is there a plumbing problem at the temple? <laughs> What's going on with this water? Uh, this rising water that becomes this raging river. Um, then the healing water. It's not just rising water, but it flows into a dead place, the Dead Sea, and gives life. And then finally, the trees of life depicted there and how important those are 
in the Bible. Now, the, the temple, of course, is a, a, a symbol of God's presence. In the Old Testament, where would you go to meet God? You'd go to the temple. Why? Because there the Holy Torah, the law and the prophets would be read and be instructed. There you could bring your sacrifice, exercise your faith, call upon the Lord for forgiveness and mercy, and indeed he would grant it. You'd go to the temple to meet God and God would meet us. And now there's this image that Ezekiel, to an exiled people, who, remember, temple's been destroyed, foreign invaders have flattened everything. Yes, there's still hope. There's still an answer. Look at the vision God gives us here. Now, Jesus describes the kingdom of God with his coming as at hand or in our midst. And his ministry immediately ends into dead places. There's blind people who need to see. And we weren't created to be blind. There's deaf people who need to hear. There's literally dead people who need to be raised to life. His ministry doesn't cozy away into you know, a little retreat. He doesn't hide away from the world. He engages the brokenness. He brings ministry to dead places. He brings restoration. Indeed, he brings good news to the poor who live lives that seem that there is no tomorrow. There is no way out of this poverty and oppression. There is no hope. And he brings the good news of the gospel to them. The portrait here I know is a bit strange. The general idea is clear enough. You have this trickle of water, which shows this amazing growth, becomes a thundering torrent. And then notice uh, that but that's kingdom of God stuff, isn't it? Starts small, gets big. Remember that? It, like leaven and dough. There's something for you, grandmothers. Have the little grandkids over. Let's make bread. Okay, Grandma, let's make bread. Now, after we get the yeast, the leaven in the bread, the dough, your job is going to be to watch it rise. How long do you think that would last? Little five-year-old. Grandma, nothing's happening. Just keep watching. You know, after five minutes, ten minutes. Grandma, nothing's happening. Just keep watching. Well, you know it's good. We don't have the patience to watch it rise. A little child isn't. But kingdom of God grows like that. It seems imperceptible. Nothing's happening. God isn't doing anything, but he is. And he does. Or another likeness Jesus gave was the kingdom's like a mustard seed. this very tiny seed, and yet it becomes this mighty, this giant bush or tree. The birds of the air can nest in. But from seed to big tree takes time. You don't want to sit around and watch that happen either. But it happens. Kingdom of God. God, you're not doing anything. In fact, it seems like the opposite, and yet he is. So the general idea here is we see how a small little trickle of water it's nothing, and yet it grows and develops and becomes something mighty 
and big. And notice the source of this. Where does this water come from? We don't manufacture it. It comes from the dwelling place of God. Where does this healing and this blessing come from? From Him. Notice that? It enters dead places to give life, and the source of it is God Himself. We often mistake ourselves, how can I grow in the Christian life and do better and try harder and do better and try harder and do better and try harder and you flunk and you fail because life isn't from us. It's from Him. It's from Him. And so, what what is God's message for this exiled dead-in people who have seemingly no future and no help and no hope, who could just calculate in their own minds, God is done with us, God no longer loves us, He's exiled us, He's angry with us, Um, God's project is without us or it's just a failure anyway. Kingdom come, what kingdom? Coming where? That's the general portrait, right? That's what we see here. Now, you start to look at the details, and we notice that this tour guide, um, as he began there, the man brought me, Ezekiel, around to the entrance of the temple, and he takes him through this gate. Now, the temple faced east, and... Facing east, I mean, we orient ourselves by north-south. In the ancient world, they oriented themselves sunrise, sunset. So the temple faced east. Now, if you go from where the temple was and go east, you're going to go downhill a long distance, a gradual decline, but a steady decline in a desert wasteland, and you're eventually going to get to the Dead Sea. It was a Dead Sea because it was lower than anywhere else. All the water flowed in, but the water never flowed out. Over a course of time, that water becomes very uh, salty, and basically it's a dead body of water. Uh, Any sort of life-giving critters and fish and things like that couldn't survive in it, So that's why it's called Dead, the Dead Sea. Now this is the picture that this water springs out from the temple and first it's ankle deep. After you go, oh, a thousand cubits is like a lap around the track, about 400 meters. So you go that distance and it's ankle deep. Well, this is nice. You know, the kids can splash around in this and float their little boats and have a good time. The tour guide takes him another lap around the track, so to speak, another 400 meters or so. Now it's knee-deep. This is where mothers have to say, now you watch your little brother. (laughs) You, You keep your eye on him. Be careful. They go another 400 meters, now it's waist deep. You boys get out of the water. You don't let, (laughs) you get the picture, right? But this is a, and then finally another 
400 meters, and it's a mighty torrent, a river that nobody can cross. It's something huge and powerful and swollen. Now, this is really odd, these rising waters, because if you've ever been in the desert southwest, what you know is even if it rains in the mountains and now the the water comes rushing down in a torrent from the mountains into the desert itself, it starts strong at the source and gets smaller as it goes. It doesn't get bigger, it gets smaller. So will this water ever make it to the main river, you know, as it fills up this arroyo or something? Well, often not. In fact, there's all kinds of streams that can come out of the mountains as the source of water that finally just dries up. But this is the opposite. It starts as a trickle and gets bigger and bigger and bigger because God's grace can always start small and accomplish something big. And indeed, that is kingdom come for us. Now, in all of that, the tour guide then says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, do you see this? Have you marked this? Have you noted it? Well, it's sort of like the vision that we're more familiar with, not from chapter 47, but chapter 37 of Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. Remember that one? The Valley of Dry Bones. And he takes the vision he's given. What do you see, Ezekiel? I see a valley of dry bones. I see death, decay. What do you see? I see bones bleached dry and, bl- and brittle in the sun. Under the sun, a valley of death is what I see. A valley of death. Can these bones live, Ezekiel? Lord, you know, prophesy, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel prophesies and suddenly bone comes to bone and sinew and tendon come together and muscle and skin fill and these dead brittle bones come to life, resurrection, hope, new beginning. That's the vision of Ezekiel 37. And is that not still what it is? God doesn't take people who are merely sick and merely need assistance. He's not our assister. You know, I need a helper. I need an assister. I need a a little boost once in a while. And Jesus is a good guy who gives you a boost. We did that a lot as children. Got to get up over this fence. Give me a boost. There, thanks. I can do the rest myself. Don't need you anymore. That's not who Jesus is. He doesn't someone who comes and gives us a boost. He's the one who carries us over the fence. He's the one who brings us home. He carries us in his arms to save us. He rescues us from death itself. He takes what's dead and brings resurrection to life. A valley of dry bones. And he makes those dry bones live, prophesy. The living word, the word become flesh is our hope in salvation. Do you see this? Ezekiel, think about it. How does the church start off there in Pentecost? 120 souls are saved. How does it start off? Ankle deep. That's how it starts off. As a trickle with some little disciples. Before you know it, 120, it's ankle deep. 
And then you keep reading in the book of Acts, and 3,000 are added to the church in one day. I think we are knee-deep. Wow, kingdom of God is growing and flourishing. You read in Acts 9, verse 3, how the gospel spread throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. All promised land, the good news. I think we've made it waist deep. And then you keep reading the book of Acts and the gospel spreads into Asia Minor and into Europe itself. And the gospel ends starting in Jerusalem, the capital of God's kingdom. Then, as a beginning, it ends in the capital, capital of Satan's empire, Rome, where the preaching of the word and God's testimony in Jesus has even penetrated Caesar's household from small trickle to a mighty torrent that continues to grow and go carry forward to this day. Now, I know what you're going to say to me. See, when I think about sermons, I think about objections in advance. Ah, yeah, well, yeah, but... It's not all progress, Pastor. A lot of regress in there, too, isn't there? I mean, we see flourishing times for the church and times and places, and then we see regression and times in which there doesn't seem to be ears that hear and hearts that believe. Well, we have to be careful with that because we're not the whole church, are we? I mean, if you want to look at the church in North America and say, well... There used to be better days long gone than there are today. We need to be careful because better days, there's better days for the church in Asia than yesteryear. Better days for the church in South America than yesteryear. Better days for the church in Africa than yesteryear. Better days for the church in all sorts of eastern parts of Europe than yesteryear. So when you think about glory days, be careful. Glorious for whom, where, and when. See, we need to think globally, and we need to think family of God as a big family across borders and nations and tribes and peoples and all the rest. Because the Holy Spirit of God that we sing about is still at work, still ministering the Word, still gathering from what was a trickle once in Asia is maybe waist deep. What was a trickle in other parts of the world is knee deep. Or maybe it's a mighty torrent. And if we've become a, triple, a, a trickle in the Western world, in Europe, and North America, and the like, if the gospel seems to have come to a trickle, don't forget the source and what that source can do. When it's from God, there's always hope. Don't fail to look at a valley of dry bones and see life coming from it. But it does require that we believe. Can these bones live, church? People that we think are most unlikely to ever be saved, we shouldn't think like that. Because then we think that somehow we are likely to be saved. Why? Because we need it less? We're less dead in our sins than the guy who's brazen and a abrasive in his sins? Really? We have to learn the we self in sinner. We're sinners 
saved by grace. Lost people are sinners who need grace. Do you see this, Ezekiel? Have you noted it? Notice the healing waters with these rising waters that come here. Because it's, it's quite stupendous, the healing depicted. As I said, these waters flow forth from the temple and they go across a desert wasteland downhill. And there's a little sidebar there. Notice that the grace of God comes from God to reach dead places. You don't ask the dead places to come up to God on their own. You don't ask water to naturally flow uphill. The grace from God flows out to what needs help. Jesus said, I come to seek and save the lost. The sick need the physician. Now, these healing waters cross this desert wasteland and dump into a dead place, the Dead Sea, and transform it into thriving fresh water, teeming with fish of all kinds, like the Mediterranean Sea. There's healing, so much so that towns develop, a whole fishing industries depicted. This is all a way of saying, look, when God's at work, when his kingdom come, comes, when his, finally, his Christ comes and his mercy comes to us, we who are dead in sins, who are the dead place, whose lives are dead, who chase idols, which is death, who maybe are rich with money, but dead to the Lord, dead, poor to him, people who might have good health, but they don't have good faith, dead. When the gospel comes and penetrates, there's healing and restoration and transformation and new life. And that's why this whole depiction of a fishing industry, it's like, look how life flourishes under God's care, under his healing hand. That's the point. The point isn't to get lost. When will we ever literally see the Dead Sea? That's not the point of the passage. The point is to show symbolically the ministry and healing work of Jesus. Because there's no hope and there's no help unless it's from God. But from God there is hope and there is help. And all of us know something of this brokenness. I mean, most of us have hurts. We've heard about some of the bangs and bruises and sorrows, even for our prayer tonight. And there's dead death and sin that can find our children's lives or our grandchildren or some other close friend or extended family or a co-worker you, you very much like but whose life has never found new life in Jesus. There's death all around us. We see our own struggle of faith at times that gets wobbly and doubtful. 
and something that's supposed to be thriving is atrophying and becoming like a decayed tooth or something. We look about us and we see a dead sea of nations, people who've never seen the light of the gospel of Christ, who walk in darkness. Indeed, we celebrate Christmas. Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now spread the light to the nations that are walking in darkness, in death. We see peoples whose lives are kind of characterized by a dull, drab, communist gray. Nothing's good, right? How are you? Mm. They're depressed and sorrowing. They don't seem to have any way to be lifted out of it. And now comes this water of healing like we see here. What is more symbolically dead for the people then than the Dead Sea? A people exiled. There's no hope. There's no tomorrow. And now God gives through Ezekiel this vision. Hey, I can take the Dead Sea and make it a thriving lake. Just like I can take a dead in people like you and bring restoration. I can bring you home. And I can put you back into your land and make you thrive. But the path to that will always be looking to God and His mercy and seeking to walk in His ways. It's never been in the equation, the spiritual calculus or calculation of, let's see, how can I be blessed? Let's see, I think I'll call upon God, but sin as much as I can. Doubt Him as much as I can. Walk my own way as much as I can. And see if He won't just bless me up a storm. Anyway, it just never has been in that sort of calculation. That's not how God chooses to bless us. We're not blessed because we obey, but being blessed, we obey. And God's pleased to bless us more. It's so important we understand the power of the gospel to bring renewal to dead places. Because our own lives need continual forgiveness. We need continual transformation. Paul likes to accent this theme in his letters to have the mind of Christ to be transformed, to forget what's behind. Yeah, there can be a lot of unhappiness behind. There can be bitterness behind us. Anytime we dwell there, we sorrow again. Or we can have self-loathing in our past. Forget what's behind, he says. It's dead back there. I get it, says Paul. Right, forget that. Quit living back there. I know there was a valley of dry bones, but look at the, the living flesh. Jesus entered the death of death for our sins. He went to the dead place of curse. And so we don't need to live there anymore. We live in resurrection. We live in renewal and new life. And what do we discover then but trees of life? So he makes it back to shore. And the tour guide, we're not going to go to the Dead Sea, but that's a nice, light, living, thriving place. Now let's get back to Temple on the way back. Wait a minute. There's trees all along the shore. Everything touched by this water, this grace of God. There's flourishing. 
there's trees of life here. And they, they're fruit trees. They give life. They're good for food. They bear fruit how often? Once a year? Twice a year? Oh, desert climate? Maybe twice? Maybe thrice a year? No. Every month. Tree of life. Hmm, that is a familiar ring about it. Tree of life. Didn't I read about that way back in Genesis? Well, don't I read about tree of life in the glory to come in the book of Revelation in its very last chapter? Tree of life. Trees of life. Symbol of what God does. To sinners, he forbids the tree of life. And to saints in glory, they receive the fruit, the fruit, the fruits of a tree of life surrounding all. And so this is something of the picture here. Ezekiel indeed has an earthly vision where Revelation's a heavenly vision. And Ezekiel's vision is something limited, more of the church under its struggle, the church militant, whereas the book of Revelation shows us the church in glory, the church triumphant. But these trees of life give life indeed because it's life from God. What I want you to think about is where do you think you're getting life and where are you trying to find it, both as a Christian and as church? It has to be from God. It has to be depending on His grace. It has to be looking to the one who can take what's dead and go to dead places, even the dead places in my life that I want to hide from God so that He can restore me, restore us all, restore the church. He can still take a trickle ministry and make it an ankle-deep ministry or an ankle-deep ministry and make it a waist-deep, knee-deep, waist-deep, a torrent, because he's God. He's able to do it, he's willing to do it, and he has all the power and the might to do it. He simply calls us then to hope in him. And there you are. I've, uh, I've reached finally into my 60s and you know, when you're in your 20s, that seems so remote and impossible, but, you know, somehow it happens to you. And uh, so you, you start getting old. People even start looking at you like, mm, that's an old guy there. Me? Well, as some have said, it will only get worse. <laughs> but our hope can grow. I'm nearer to glory than I was before. Some of us race ahead in youth to glory, but some of us ebb toward it with our age. And the thing is, we need to age and live our life, young or old, with the hope that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. I can trust the Lord Jesus. I can walk with him. I'm kept by him. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He'll see me through every trial. I'll be, I'm probably a hard nut to crack and I have to go through hard stuff to, for him to get my attention, but he'll bring me forward, he'll bring me home. He gives life to dead places. Lord, take the trickle of my life 
By your grace, may it grow into ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Finally, in kingdom come, a torrent with all your people that know the life that you give. Amen. Lord, bless your word to us. May we find strength in it, hope from it, solace in the knowledge that you love us, you will not forsake us. Indeed, Lord, may we seek to love you with all our hearts and trust you in every trial. Indeed, Lord, make the church flourish where it's a trickle, make it grow, and may it finally participate in that great kingdom come, the mighty torrent of your grace and salvation. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. From the